0: Coming up in this podcast: the funeral business, St John of God Healthcare, cultural developments, big moves in the corporate finance sector, and business news celebrates 25 years. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business
1: News with Mark panel and Mark Buyer discussing the important business news and data stories from
0: Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast, Mark. It's only the second week of the new year, and we've already got lots of news and analysis to talk about. First though, let's be a little indulgent and discuss ourselves. This year marks 25 years for Business News.
1: Um, Quite an achievement. We're very pleased about it. I caught up recently with Harry Klein, who was the founder of Business News, our inaugural publisher and was with the business for many years. Harry actually has a really interesting history in publishing. He was the um, early chief executive of Community Newspaper Group, um, having been the founder of many of the titles in Perth's southern suburbs. Uh, So Business News was his second foray into publishing, um, amongst many other things that Harry did over the years, including being president of the old Perth Chamber of Commerce. So 1993, that's where he saw an opportunity Uh, established um, business news as an old-fashioned, if you like, newspaper. And it's been fascinating to reflect back on how much we've changed Mm. uh, and things that we've initiated. So the early 2000s is when we moved into the events business. Uh, We started our 40 Under 40 Awards in 2002. Uh, We started our Success and Leadership uh, Breakfast Series, and both still going. Um, we've had our Rising Stars Awards for fast-growing businesses, uh, and of course we pioneered uh, the daily email service back in 2005, um, and that's you know, something that pretty much all of our subscribers enjoy getting the uh, the daily wrap-up of what's been going on in the market. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the whole shift to digital, you know, and, it, and for you and I internally, we've we've known how profound that's been for the business. Um, so we've still got our, our fortnightly print magazine, that's a, a core part of our business, uh, but there's more and more focus with us, like every other publishing business, in online content. Um, so it's news, uh, it's all the data that we have, our, our BNIQ search engine. So yeah, it's been a good opportunity for us internally to reflect, um, and hopefully for our subscribers out there, to they might also reflect on, on how much change they've seen in the publishing space.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's been quite a journey. And um, obviously, we've both been here a long time, um, well and truly more than half of that 25 years. Um, but I guess you could almost divide that period into that, that first, uh, the 1990s part, and then the 2000s part. And I think... Um, the 1990s, which obviously I wasn't here, but I was an observer of the of the newspaper. It was a fortnightly newspaper. It was pretty much a sort of community newspaper for the city with a bit of a, a business flair to it. Um, the book of lists, as we call our hard copy version of data, was started 20 years ago as a, literally as a stapled together sheets that went went out with the paper. Um, so there was the formation of the, of what we've got today, all done back in the '90s, and then I guess what I kind of my recollection of the 2000s is this iteration that we've gone through from being free to paid, and in effect, we've done it twice. We've done it from the from being a free newspaper in the city to being a subscriber based mag or newspaper, uh, and the frequency shifted up to weekly. Now that's a pretty remarkable change, it's very hard to go from free to paid. And then we've done the same thing with the digital in the la- in the last four or five years, we've shifted from being pretty much the website was free to being a paid, a paywall website. And that's by using that data that was the book of lists, putting that into a digital format. And in between you mentioned those daily emails which uh, 2005 was the afternoon and 2007 was the morning, Emails, very important products that really, uh, you know, have kept us, uh, you know, I guess that to me that always, that drove our credibility out in the market that we were, we were the first with the news. And we were the first doing those emails. Um, and you mentioned the events, you know, really big part of the business. You know, we've got 40 Under 40, which we're both occupied with to some degree over the next month or two. You know, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great journey and all credit to Harry who, uh, you know, saw that. And one thing we should mention is there is a peer group that we have in the US of these all throughout the, the country. Every major city, every, even minor cities have business news type publications, and we've learned a lot from those. And, uh, and yet we remain, I think, the only member outside of North America in that group. So kind of a, a fascinating journey. Anyway, uh, we'll be having more of the 25-year celebration stuff during the year, and we'll also be looking to celebrate other companies' anniversaries because uh, I think these milestones are important and there aren't many companies around the last 25, let alone 50 years, let alone 100. So uh, it is worth, it is worth uh, congratulating others on that journey as well. Now, Mark, um, one of those industries, uh, let's get back onto the, onto the, the news of the week, if, this, if we could call it this. This is really an analysis piece, but uh, one of those industries that stays well below the radar for perhaps obvious reasons is the funeral sector. Uh, Tory Wilson has done some analysis of that sector.
1: Yeah, I was fascinated to discover a couple of quite substantial listed companies in the funeral industry, which I hadn't appreciated before. Um, Invocare, a very big national operation, they control about 45% of the West Australian funeral market. Um, They own about five different brands, Mm -hmm. including Perslow Funerals, So I think most of us just see these old, established brands that used to be family-owned not realising that this is actually part of a a large, listed company. Nothing wrong with that, Mm. but I think it's interesting to to dig into that a
0: little bit more. Do you you Um, think, just a question, do you think that's because these are quite low-key businesses in the first place and therefore because the people behind them, those family, are not out there in the public eye to the same degree as they might be in another business, that we don't notice the changeover? We don't see it and we don't connect it with a person or people? Well, well, look, my hunch as
1: well is that people only deal with funeral homes when when the need suddenly comes up. It's yeah. not something you, you chat about and talk about. Um, no. In the way that you do with other products and services. Fair comment, yeah. And then when it's done, you sort of you move on with your life. Yeah. Um, so the other group that we talk about, uh, Bower and O'Day, now they're still family owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, speaking of long running businesses, uh, I yeah. think fifth generation now, so you know, fantastic achievement. They've got nine chapels around the state, so clearly they're a big player, uh, but of course being privately owned, we don't know exactly how big. Uh, but we did get some insight into the money involved in this sector because there's a, a second listed company. they in fact listed on the ASX late last year. Um, they're called uh, Propel. They bought Seasons Funeral Homes, so another long-established family-owned business in Perth. They paid $11 million for that business. Mm-hmm. So there's some pretty serious money involved here. Yep. Um, and then there are other people out there, uh, a guy named Peter Ursig who set up a, a website so that people can actually do A bit of a comparative analysis because (laughs) his view is that you know most people don't really understand or don't have much visibility on what it is that they're buying yeah Um,
0: and And, and maybe it's quite a difficult period to go asking those tough questions isn't it oh absolutely you're not hard negotiating when you when you've got you know i guess days really to deal with a matter that you know is something you were probably putting off because or you didn't even know was coming
1: But it's fascinating to look at, uh, maybe this is me, a business journalist, but I found it fascinating looking at the investor presentations for these listed companies. And they're talking about pricing and margins and and trends in the sector, just like any other industry. Of course. And yet they were dealing with funerals. (laughs) So one number that stuck out, uh, Propel said average cost of funerals that they provide, $5,330. Yeah, right. So, but, you know, I'm sure from there that goes up a lot as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: if that's just an average. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: So, fascinating insight into an industry we don't talk about very much.
0: No, no. And, uh, you know, and look, without uh, wanting to coflate the two things, we also last year talked about um, there's a sort of pet cremation business as well. So, I guess, you know, I know those things probably... Shouldn't be that the human touch versus versus something for animals are two different things, but in some ways they're very similar kinds of businesses with many of the same operating uh, functions. Um, now, there's been a bit of a changing of the guard at some of WA's key companies lately, and it's not just the listed sector. Uh, Michael Stanford is leaving St John of God Healthcare.
1: Yeah, look, this is a, a significant milestone for a business that doesn't get. A lot of attention because it's a it's an unlisted sort of church-based uh, operation, um, and yet if St John of God Healthcare was listed on the stock market, it would be you know a very substantial business that would get a lot more focus. Yep. Now Michael has been chief executive there for 15 years, and it's grown enormously over that time. Yep. It's become a very substantial national operation. Um, annual revenue 1.7 billion dollars. Yeah, right. So you know, very serious uh, business there. Um, they've got a very impressive board as well. Tony Howarth, who's also a director of West Farmers, he's chairman of the board. Um, so I'd think, you know, hats off to Michael for what he's achieved over his 15 years um, and the growth that he's achieved, um, and and I think done so in a way where there's a lot of a lot that other businesses can learn about. Um, balancing your your commercial imperative with being a, a good corporate citizen, you know that's that's just core to something like St John of God Healthcare. Yeah. Now he's retiring from that role to, in fact, join the board of Healthscope. Yep. Which is one of the big competitors. Um, they're a bit larger nationally. Uh, they own the Mount Hospital here in Perth and, and a few other um, medical centres around the suburbs. They're not they're not massive in WA. Are they, no, are they? it's just that, that one big asset they've got here. Yeah, They're yeah. much larger elsewhere. Yep. Um, and then, of course, the other private group is Ramsey Healthcare. Um, they've got you know, a much more substantial operation here with Hollywood and Joondalup and other operations. Yep. Um, so you know, a very big industry. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just good to give credit to Michael Stanford and the people at St. John of God Healthcare for what they've achieved.
0: Yeah, no. Look, uh, you know, a large national employer, and I've watched with interest as they've expanded over East and done some big things here, but but especially over East. Um, now, uh, Mark, some of our best viewed articles have been on an array of cultural developments this week, um, if we could call them that. Anyway, uh, is there a theme there? Well, I think it was interesting just to pull together a few
1: things that that uh, had come up this year. One of them was the announcements about the new businesses that will be opening up in Yagin Square. Mm-hmm. So that's the you know, a very substantial government-funded uh, infrastructure development um, in that City Link area yeah.
0: above the railway line. Tucked in there into the horseshoe part of the horseshoe bridge. That's
1: right, yes. Um, so costing about $75 million dollars, so you know, I think the so kind of people like to see new developments. They like to see new things happening in the city, mm-hmm. uh, and yet, yeah, you know, they come with a very substantial price tag. Um, another one that you wrote a bit about was what's going on up at Scarborough. You know, very substantial redevelopment up there, and I think people acknowledge it's going to be good when it's done. But there's been a lot of disruption that's occurred um, as a result of that foreshore development, including things like a new swimming pool. Yep. Um, but of course the ongoing debate that we've touched on before about high-rise developments that are also proposed. Um, but then the third thing, this is a very small example, but it attracted a lot of interest from our readers. Uh, there was approval given during the week for a party barge <laughs> that would sit yes. out on the Swan River uh, near the Narrows Bridge. Now, this is a private sector development costing about $2 million, so a whole lot less than those government-funded developments. Um, and yet, you know, it's obviously attracted interest because people, as I say, it's something new, something different, something yeah. a bit of fun in Perth. Um, so, you know, good on private people for coming up with these ideas and working through that, you know, excruciating ah. approvals process. <laughs> Anything on the river? Swimming
0: against the tide of red tape. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I mean, I can't help wondering, as you were saying that that you know, Elizabeth Key, another one of those very expensive. And look, I'm a big fan of it. It's there, it's great, it's fantastic. But you know you kind of wonder if, if maybe a set of peers and a whole bunch of party barges mightn't have just done the ticket. <laughs> and, but you know and there's a real um,
1: question here for government as well about, well, do they need to get out their own checkbook and spend a lot of money to redevelop things, or could they focus a bit more on seriously clearing the way? Yeah for private people to come in and do their own thing.
0: Let people do things, exactly. And I think you've got that, uh, the, the coup d'etat further down that down the river where someone privately has gone ahead and done something which is quite substantial and very attractive and you know didn't come with all the political hoo-ha that Elizabeth Key did. So yeah, no, I tend to agree. Let the private sector do it. Right, um, now you've done this week's special report looking at corporate finance sector uh, and the deals that made up to 2017. Remember that, that year? Uh, feels like a long time ago already. One really interesting element uh, is the amount of jostling amongst the sector's advisors. Yeah look, um, really fascinating
1: to dig deep into what's going on in the corporate finance market. Uh, we've been doing this for eight or nine years now, collecting data on what's going on. Uh, 850 transactions during 2017 right collectively worth twenty five billion dollars there you go so for people that say there's nothing going on <laughs> it's pretty remarkable there's an awful lot of transactions out there yeah. and in fact yeah the number of transactions is um, at, at high levels yes um, that the value figure actually isn't um, all that high but mainly because you know most years there's two or three sort of mega deals Um that involve the big end of town. Yeah. And they really sort of bump up the, the deal values. There wasn't so much of that in 2017. But amongst the mid-market, which is you know, core for Perth, um, there was a lot going on. Mm. It's, it's been a pretty good time to be out there raising capital. Um, and there's quite a lot of takeover activity. So you know, in terms of M&A deals, that was about $15 billion collectively. Right. So there are opportunities there. But that shift in, in the profile of deals that's flowed through to who's active in the market. And it's this old pattern that we've talked about <laughs> and seen over the years. Yep. The big players come into Perth during the boom, and then they sort of slip away when things get quiet. <laughs> yeah, right. So over the course of 2017, um, UBS, Merrill Lynch, Credit Suisse, they all pull back in terms of their sort of m and corporate advisory practice in Perth.
0: As in, they shut down their branches here? Well,
1: they they, they 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 all say they still have a presence here. Right. But not as substantial as it had been. Right. And that's reflected in the fact that some of their key people have moved to other places. Um, so Tim Day was the senior person for, or the main person for UBS yep. in Perth. Um, he's gone out and set up uh, Sternship Advisors. So, you know. It's nice to have a you know an interesting little new boutique advisory operation there. Uh, Chris Binghamman was investment banking director at Merrill Lynch. He left and has joined uh, View Street Partners okay. in Cottesloe, which we'll talk a bit more about in a moment. Um, so yeah, so yeah, they still have their fly in fly out presence. You know, so someone like UBS, they're still active in in the Perth market, but not on the ground as they had been. So yeah, some really significant shifts there in terms of who's who. Um, Another one, uh, BDO, uh, the accounting business, uh, they've made an interesting move in this space. Mm. They've always been very strong in terms of, if you like, deal support, doing valuations, expert reports, assessments, and so on. But they've never really had a strong sort of lead advisory M&A capacity BDO's gone out and bought Tompkins Turner. They're a boutique advisory practice in Perth. They've now got six partners and 26 people in their corporate finance practice. So that makes them you know, an even stronger presence in the Perth market.
0: So can I ask, I'm thinking with BDO, BDO's presence as a service player is very much in that ASX listed space, right? They're very much independent experts, reports and the like. Tonkin's Turner is not really in that space from recollection, are they? They're much more in the private side. So, I presume they've kind of done this in a way that won't be conflicting with their, with the the group that they service the most. Being the, yeah, look, I,
1: I spoke to Sharif Andros um, at BTO. He chairs the uh, the corporate finance um, or heads the corporate finance practice. He sees it as the uh, bringing together two different businesses, um, servicing different aspects of the market. And, but now having a more comprehensive service offering gotcha. that can cover all elements of it. Um, so yeah, and and, and underpinned by a, a very bullish view that they have on the outlook for Western Australia. Yeah. You know, we've come through a few quiet years, and you know, Sharif himself said that they surprised themselves last year with how much things picked up. Mm. Um, so they're seeing opportunities there and he said look we could have quietly built up this capability ourselves or bite the bullet go out there and buy a business and integrate it into their existing operation so they're feeling very positive about it um, And look another new name in the market that i spoke to um, rob hamilton uh, set up a business called ashanti capital um, now Rob's like quite a few people. He worked overseas, you know, up in Hong Kong for quite a few years, built a big network, built capability. He's moved back to Perth. Um, he's got a small group of people with him. Now, they raised $90 million last year um, across a range of transactions. So you know, there are people that are seeing opportunities. Um, and so I, you know, I think that's really positive. Um, one area in particular that where Western Australia gets criticized a lot is, a lack of money for tech startups. And people often say there's no venture capital in Western Australia. And in terms of those, you know, the classic venture capital fund of a kind that you find in Silicon Valley, we don't have a lot, you know, one or two exceptions like UR Capital. Mm. But I think it's important, uh, sorry, and, and that ties in with <laughs> Canva, yeah. a, business, a very successful business. Founded by a couple of Perth people, including Melanie Perkins, moved to Sydney. They just raised 40 million US, and the valuation of that business—they're now saying it's worth a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So, fantastic success a story. A unicorn. A unicorn. Yes. So, fantastic success story uh, by a business set up by Perth people, and a lot of a lot of others would say you couldn't do that in Perth. Well. You know, Health Engine is out there, mm-hmm. um, sector is out there. These are very successful uh, tech businesses that have raised private money, and they've raised money from the same people that Canva has, right? That's right. There is an overlap there. Yeah, but there are other opportunities, and this is where a group like View Street comes in. Yeah, you know, they are getting involved with a lot of startup businesses. They get involved early. They provide advice. They raise seed capital. They'll then raise more growth capital, and in most cases, heading towards an ASX listing. Now, you know a lot of people sort of poo-poo that as a pathway for a tech business, yep. but to me, it's very valid. You know, there are a lot of people that do it, and and it's quite credible. Um, and that's that's the nature, I think, of venture capital in Perth. So, it's all there in our latest corporate finance feature. And people that want to look at the numbers, you know, jump on our website. Hit the BNIQ search engine, then you can interrogate all the data there. Yep. You can see who the advisors are. You know, I haven't mentioned even some of the local brokers like Hartley's had a really good year. Euros, Patterson's, you know, the big law firms, we rank all of them. So lots to have a look at, um, all in this week's paper and online.
0: I look forward to tucking in. Thank you. Uh, 40 under 40 ticket sales are underway. We have a record number of entries, which bodes well for a great event not to mention the state of the economy. If you'd like to mingle with WA's best and brightest under 40, why not join us at Crown on March 7? Just come to our website and click the Events tab at the top of the page.
1: Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA
0: in iTunes or SoundCloud.